Welcome to LOA Today. I'm Walt Keeson. I've been doing this podcast since September of 2012, and boy, are my lips tired. This is your daily dose of happy. We are so happy you decided to join us today. And we hope that you're having a beautiful day like we are here. We we've, we just uh, learned from each other. My guest and I just learned that uh, we live one state away from each other, and we didn't know it. So we're <laughs> comparing notes about uh, living in the Northeast. But, hey, wherever you are in the world, we hope you're enjoying today. Um, hereabouts, uh, we're experiencing some very warm weather. But, hey, it's nice after the cold winter. You know, when you, when you have warm weather, you just kind of say, okay, it's here. This is good. I like this. And I'm going to double check to see if that's true with my guest. I mean, I'm making an assumption here. I might be wrong, but we'll find out. Anyway, his name is Peter George. Peter had an interesting uh, experience growing up. He he had a lisp. Well, I'm not sure if interesting is the right word. He had a challenging experience. Let's let's put it that way. And it actually became a foundation. How many times have we heard stories like this? It became a foundation for what he turned his career into. And we're going to hear that story. So, Peter, first of all, thank you for joining us on the show today. How you doing? I'm doing great, Walt. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you here. And I mean, when I first saw your profile and, and what your uh, storyline was all about, that was the thought that went through my mind. Like, it, it's always a story of somebody who went through some sort of really difficult challenge. It affected them in a big way. And then they turned it around and turned it into a joy in some ways. I mean, I, that's often a hard thing to say, but they turned it into something amazing. And it sounds like you did the same thing. Yeah, I grew up with both a lisp and a stutter. And was, well, okay, so you had and both the, going. And yeah. the last thing I ever wanted to do was communicate with people. <laughs> yes, I'm sure. You know, family, friends, but not in school or other places. And as time went by, they subsided. I had help when I was young. I had therapy. And they subsided. By the time I hit, I don't know, high school or just before that, they were all but gone. I still hear them. I still hear the lisp. I still hear the stutter every so you often. You do. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hopefully the stutter more often than the list, but hopefully the stutter doesn't come up while we're, <laughs> while we're chatting. I it's promise. Usually when I, I keep... speak about certain topics and we won't be talking about that anyway. So. Okay. Well, I won't be keeping score. So you're safe. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but seriously, I mean, you turned it, you, you turned things around so much. You actually decided to create a career speaking to people about speaking to people, which I mean, that, that's an interesting choice after going through that growing up. Yeah. When I, went into the corporate world, I found out I had to present mm. and not wanting to communicate pe- with people when I was younger. I had no practice at speaking mm. with other people, presenting in front of them. And even if I did, I wouldn't be doing it well. So, and this will show you how far back it goes. I got books, I got cassette tapes and I listened to them <laughs> over and over and over again. And I got marginally better, but I wasn't good enough. It wasn't as good as I wanted to be. So I went and got help. I went and got group training, and that was awesome, but I wanted even more. So then I went for personal training, one-on-one, okay. and that made a great deal of difference in my life, my ability to, to present, to not only communicate with others, but truly engage them and resonate with what mattered to them. And in the end, it would benefit me because if it mattered to them, then I was asked to speak sure. more and all those things. But what I found out when I left the corporate world was the more I spoke when I opened my own companies, the more business I got. <laughs> yeah, it's funny how that works, the bump. right? <laughs> Every time I spoke, I could see the bumps in revenue. Yeah. And yeah. it was like, huh. <laughs> Who this knew? This kind of cool. Yeah. So I worked on it more and more and more. And I started speaking on stage quite a bit. And I've been doing that for about 35 years now. And about half mm. that time, maybe halfway through, I would start doing things and practicing and trying different things. And people would say, other speakers would, hey, why'd you do that? Or could you tell me more about that? And I found mm. out as much as I love speaking, I loved e- helping other people speak more effectively even more. Why is that? I don't know. Well, I do know. I, I say I don't know. I do know. I I grew up wanting to be my dad. My dad uh-huh. was my hero. And like a lot of little boys, I also wanted to be a firefighter. Uh-huh. So it worked out pretty cool because my dad was an officer on the Providence, Rhode Island Fire Department. Okay. So I wanted to be him. Sure. He knew that wasn't for me. <laughs> <laughs> Other things were for me, but not that. And so to this day, I still want to be like my dad. He was, like I said, he's my hero. Uh, he's been gone 30 years. 
but he hasn't diminished being my hero, hero one iota. So if I can help people, then that means a lot to me. He helps people in his way. I help people in my way. Mm-hmm. And so that's why it means so much to me. So the more okay. I could help the speakers, the more they could help other people. And when you're helping people in the audience, whether it's one person across a desk, 10 people in a conference room or a thousand people in an auditorium, when you're helping them, you really don't know how it's going to affect them. Mm-hmm. It could change their life in some way. It could help them. Let's say it's in business. It could help them increase their revenue and then mm-hmm. they could realize their their personal dreams, buy the boat, buy the vacation home, send their kids to the college of their choice, whatever it might be. And if you can do that, that's a pretty cool thing. It is. That's a very cool thing. Well, I, I mean, I could personally identify with it because I, I've been doing this podcast since um, 2012, and so wow. nearly 10 years now. And over time, of course, you get emails, you get contacts from listeners as, you, as your listener base continues to grow and grow. And very often I'll get an email or a message of some kind that, that basically says, wow, listening to your, your show led me to X, which created this amazing new thing or this new, this new experience or a different way of thinking about something. And it's like you said, I didn't know that when I was making the, the particular episode that they heard. I had no idea. Exactly. But that's what's so cool about it because, I mean, I'm basically doing a show where I talk about stuff that I like to talk about with other people who have similar interests. And it's fun. I learn stuff. I mean, I started the podcast to help myself. That was what really got the whole thing going for me. And to know that it's actually helping other people along the way, that's like, that's the ultimate cherry on top. It really is. I mean, I didn't expect it, you know? No, and I look at it this way. Many of my my coaching clients are much younger than I am, Mm -hmm. 20s, 30s. And I'll never see the height of their careers. I won't be around that long. However, I do know I'm seeing a transformation in them now Mm. that will set up the height of their careers. So even though I won't see that, I'm seeing the foundation for it now. Yeah, well, that's an advantage that you get as a coach because you're working directly one-on-one with somebody. And you get to to know them. You get to know what their issues are, what their hopes and dreams are, where they're stuttering. No, not stuttering. Excuse me. Suffering, where they're having trouble getting through. Well, there's a form of stutter right there. I just put the wrong (laughs) word in there. (laughs) But suffering with 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 what's going on and and they're they're struggling because they're just they're, they're stuck on stuff and you help them get past the stuck stuff and you can see the progress as you're working with them. That, I mean, that it's a different thing from doing a podcast, but I've had a number of people on the show who are life coaches or, or therapists or, you know, various kinds of coaching uh, practitioners. And for them, it's always the same thing. There's a tremendous thrill in helping people and knowing that you're helping them because you can see it. You can see the progress as you're talking with them, as you're working with them. Exactly. That, that's fabulous. It's fascinating. It really is. It's, it's fascinating and it's, it's fulfilling. And I, right. I have I have the honor of doing that. I mean, to have that honor given to you to see yeah. uh, someone transform and help them achieve something that they're struggling to achieve uh, and go from struggling to striving and then achieving it, it's pretty cool. It is. It's really cool. So as you've been doing this, it, well, first of all, when you started doing this, did you really expect it was going to turn to a career fairly early or did you kind of stumble into it as you went along? I mean, I kind of get the impression that, that it, it was a very smooth curve, but that's just because the way profiles are written. My, my, <laughs> it, it's actually more likely that you went through bumps and, and crazy things happened along the way. And then all of a sudden you were presented with this other opportunity and the opportunity said, well, you could try doing this. Oh, I hadn't thought of that. I mean, how, how did how did the path go, I guess, is what I'm asking. Well, I did start. When I left the corporate world, I started a company and uh, it was a publishing company, which the phenomenal part about that is I didn't know the first thing about publishing. <laughs> Not the first thing at all. I had never, this was 1990. I where computers as we truly know them today right. were just coming out. Yeah. I think I, the first computer I bought then for the company had four megabytes of memory. Right. <laughs> and everything had to be done of, of any size on external drives, SideQuest drives and the like. Yeah. All that being said, I started a company not knowing what I was doing. I had a wife of three months who's very intelligent, extremely logical. And I called her from the road. I was 
out in the Midwest doing something, and I called her from the road from Ohio back when the phone had to be attached to the car. So oh, yeah. the car would help act as an antenna. Right. And you had your little antenna on back. And I picked up the phone. I said, you know what? I'm going to start a publishing company. And she said, what the bleep do you know about publishing? And I said, nothing. Absolutely <laughs> nothing. I don't even know how to turn on a computer. But this is something I want to do. And I know it'll probably fail. But I want to do it anyway. And my wife uh, didn't divorce me. Believe me. After <laughs> That's three good. Months, which I'm very surprised. We're still together 31 <laughs> years later. Best friends. And uh, the joke is, which truly wasn't, isn't a joke. It took three years to get me to leave her corporate position to come work for me. And then I worked for her for the next 12. Really? Interesting. So, yeah, she really ran the company day to day. And we built it into a leader in the niche, our niche, and sold that in 2005. Wow. Congratulations. So I, while this was happening, I was doing all the speaking for the company. And that's where that came, the, that came from. And then when we sold that company, it was like, well, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? And, <laughs> you know, and I wasn't sure. And my wife said, you love helping people. So I kind of did it on the side without really um, uh, exposing it a lot. And that was kind of cool. And then other things came along and I did those. And But I always stuck with this. And uh, that's all I'm doing now. It's just speaking and coaching. That's fabulous. I'm getting too old to keep doing the other things. <laughs> well, too older or just not interested. That's that's what I find is the years go on. I get to the point where like, you know, okay, yeah, I could do that, but uh, no thanks. Not interested. Not my thing. I'd rather go do the things that I enjoy doing. Exactly. You know? Exactly. And I love this. I mean, I absolutely love this. When when you left well, first of all, when when you sold the company that you guys had built up. And obviously it had been successful enough that you could sell it and, and do well off of the sales. So you were, you were in a good place, um, in that sense. But like you said, you were trying to figure out where you were going to go next. You kind of said, well, okay, I'm going to help people. You know, like your wife suggested, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to try to do some, something to help people. But did, did it actually come into your mind that you were going to help them with speaking? Cause the reason I think about that question is, I mean, your, your story is that you start off with speaking challenges as you were growing up. You kind of had to, you were kind of forced into speaking through developing your company and then you get out and then all of a sudden you choose speaking. I mean, that, that it, it's an interesting timeline. If you see what I mean, cause you had challenge <laughs> and then he had challenge. He said, okay, I want to keep doing that. Is, I don't know if it was making up for all the years of not wanting to communicate with people <laughs> or what I found out when I went for the group training, what someone took me aside, one of the instructors took me aside and said, he knew my background. And he said, what you've been doing is studying communication all these years, but you've been studying how to avoid it. However, to study how to avoid it, you're still studying it. True. He said, and a lot of this is coming naturally for you. And that's when I, I believe I really started to say, well, I'm not learning this just to learn it because I need to for the corporate, in the corporate situation. I'm learning this now because I love it. So something had changed. Something had shifted in your mindset. It really did. He had a lot to do with it. And, you know, it's funny. We, we think of, hey, I, I got over the, the fear of speaking or communicating with people, not the mm -hmm. fear of speaking, but the fear of communicating with people. And uh, therefore, I'm all set. <laughs> I can talk. Well, then I'm a speaker. And I found out that's not true. It's a craft that you have to learn and hone and continue to develop just like a singer does or an athlete does. You know, we can all, we can all run to some degree, but we're not competing in the Olympics no, or anywhere that's close. That's what it is. Most people, well, I can speak. So therefore, you know, I had someone tell me once, if you don't mind a little anecdote. No, love anecdotes. Story, I, I was at a conference. Don't be afraid to include stories. We love stories. It's perfectly fine. <laughs> I was at a conference once and it was the first day and I'm in line. Uh, getting uh, a team and everybody else is getting coffee and the like. And this guy standing to my right says, and I have no idea. I've never met, seen the man before in my life says to me, I don't need you. Okay. And I looked and went, excuse me. <laughs> and he said, I don't need you. 
Well, you have me at a loss. I have no idea what you're talking about. He said, I read on your name tag that you're a public speaking coach. I said, yes, I am. He said, I don't need you. I said, that's great. He goes, yep, I know what I'm talking about. I've got the guts to get up in front of people. I'm all set. And I said, you know, that's perfectly good. I'd love to watch you speak sometime. And then I went and found my seat. But what I was thinking in the back of my head is he truly believes this. And for all I know, he's a fabulous speaker. But mm -hmm. most of us aren't with some training. This God-given speaker thing is really a, a fallacy. Most of us are trained in one way or another. So I was thinking I used to work for a Japanese company when I was in the corporate industry. And I learned a few words here and there. And the Japanese have a word for when you have the when you know what you want to say and you have the get guts to get up and do it hmm. to say it in front of other people. Okay. Do you know what that word is, Walt? I do not. Karaoke. No, oh, so, good. <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm being a little facetious here, but you think about it. Karaoke is getting up to sing what you know True. and having the guts to get up in front of the audience and do it. And that's what it is when we say, well, I know what I'm talking about. I know my business. And I have the guts to get up in front of people. That might be true, but you know what, what a compelling opening is or how yeah. to close on a powerful note or how to keep people engaged when they want to look at their phones. Do you know all that? Most of us don't. Do we know the value of a story as opposed to an anecdote? Mm. All these things across the way. Do we know how to use our bodies? It's called body language for a reason and quite often our body is saying one thing when our mouth saying another and people get confused and that's when they turn to their phones mm. so that's learning to speak and that's being able to speak just having the guts to get up there and say what you want to say it might be compelling odds are it's not well especially if you haven't done it much it's like anything else you you, you do it often enough you get good at it yeah if you do well it, 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 what's the old saying? It's not that practice makes perfect. It's perfect practice makes perfect. <laughs> not that there is a perfect, but, and a lot of people do say that. Yeah. Will you get more comfortable with it? Public speaking? Yes, you will. But depending on how good you want to get at it, I can't just go skiing three days a week during the winter to become an Olympic skier. No. Well, I need I training. I you suspect you don't want to be an Olympic skier, but if you did, did want to be an Olympic yeah. skier, you wouldn't try to do it just by going out on the Right. You, you go get that training. Yeah. People know what they're doing. I mean, look at the millions right. of dollars they spend on these athletes. Oh, yeah. And, you know, so what, all I'm really trying to impress upon people is getting up and doing it's great. Getting up and mm -hmm. doing it so people, so you can serve the audience. Mm -hmm. That's a different thing. And it's not about us as speakers. We think it is. We're the ones in the limelight, right? We have the spotlight on us. I think metaphorically, they should turn that around. The audience is the one that should have the light on them. They're the ones being enlightened. They're the ones being served. They're the ones being benefited. So as speakers, we often think about us when it's truly about the audience and what they take away yeah. and how their life or career or minds or whatever it might be are benefited from what we had to say. Yeah, I think you're right about that because if you're not actually focused on the audience when you're talking, a couple of things happen. I mean, and I should qualify that a little bit because you can't to totally focus on the audience. That doesn't work really well. You can't totally focus on yourself. That doesn't really work. There has to be a little bit of a balance going on there. But if you don't have any focus on your audience, then what you have to say is not going to be focused. Right. It can't be. It's not possible to focus it if you if you don't have a focus. The point of, if the point of focus is not your audience, then what is it? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, and and you have you have to have a point, and you have to illustrate and support that point, which some people do, some people don't. Mm -hmm. uh, Joel Schwartzberg uh, wrote a book called "Get to the Point," and that's mm -hmm. all the book about is about is about getting to the point. And it's a fabulous book, and I recommend it to. Anybody who wants to speak hmm. is how to create a point and stick to that point, illustrate and champion that point. So the audience benefits. You know, as you're, you were saying all this, I, I was kind of going through mentally my own mental process as I do a podcast episode. And one of the main things that I do a lot, particularly in an interview context like this one is, is I ask myself, if I were the audience member, what would I want to ask this person next? 
And it's a guess, of course. I, I don't really know what any right. of the audience members want, but but I I try to put myself in that place. And, and if if I'm sitting in the audience, what do I want to know next? What's the most important thing? And I find that when I do that, that's how I maintain my sense of contact with an audience that I don't even see. I mean, you, uh, as a public speaker, you actually get to see your audience, which I think is fabulous, right? I, I'm talking <laughs> here on a podcast, and my audience writes to me a few days later. I mean, that that's how much interaction I get with the audience. So it's not quite the same thing. But nevertheless, it's I try to treat it like I did have that live audience there. And, and there's always like a few people listening live. We have a couple of people listening live right now. So I'm still talking to them, but even so I can't see them. Right. Not like we, we, not like you can when you're standing in front of an audience at a podium, you, you can actually see the people. And, and you mentioned the body language. Body language is certainly important both ways. You get to see the body language of the audience. Like exactly. you said, are, are they looking at the phones or are they looking at you? Are they attentive? Are they bored? Are they leaning on their thumbs? You know, what, what's going on? Well, you can tell. Which is good. Yeah, you get tremendous feedback from a live audience. Yeah. Tremendous feedback. And, you know, body language is key to a great performance, a, a great presentation, a talk, even when you can't see people. I have a podcast as well. I think about when uh, I was going to say I still use body language and I've been watching you and you do too. But think of when you're on the phone. Even yeah. when you're on the phone, you're still using your hands. Oh, yeah. You know that people can't see yeah. you. Yeah. But not only do our hands help us express, but our hands help us literally open our mouths and use them and emphasize and the like. We use, we're animals that use our hands to help speak, which is kind of odd. It's kind of funny. It is. Yeah. But, but, we but do. it also makes sense. We do. And yeah. and I and any public speaking coach around the world, the number one question we get, for the most part, is what do I do with my hands? <laughs> that's how much it's on our minds. Of, they're not asking how do I engage, what do I do if I lose the audience, how do I do this? How do, it's what do I do with my hands? Right. So it's very funny how much gesturing, which is only part of public of uh, body language, but how much it has to do with communication. As you were describing the fact that people are so concerned about their hands when they're trying to become better public speakers, it occurs to me there are there are elements and layers to the question of why it is that people have fear of public speaking. I mean, it's generally considered to be the number one fear, fear of public speaking. And I'm not so sure that I had a fear of it. I, I was certainly very aware the first time that I ever spoke in front of an audience. I was so aware that uh, my awareness level was probably on 11. That's how aware I was at that particular time. But was I afraid of it? I'm not sure if I was afraid of it, but I could see how somebody could get afraid because there are a lot of things you could be afraid of. So I mean, when you think about the question of fear, what, what do you think about when it comes to public speaking? Generally, in all the true studies have been done, it's not number one. And jokingly, I back that up with, if you say, you know, it's, it's my biggest fear, let me tell you, if you're dropping 30,000 feet out of the air <laughs> in a tube, you'd much rather be on stage. Probably, yeah. yes. Now he's got a gun to your head in a dark alley. You'd much rather be in a conference room. Fair point. So th there's several reasons we're nervous. One is it goes back to caveman days. So we're talking hundreds of thousands of years. Back when we had to know if, if a lot of eyes were looking at us, then we were probably in danger. It was either our tribe who wasn't happy with us and they were going to mm -hmm. kill us or banish us. Either way, we're dead. It was another tribe, which means they killed everybody else and I'm the last one. Or it's wild animals and I'm dinner. A lot of eyes looking at us didn't suit us well. So it's the fight or flight that's still in our brains, our primal brains. But even more recently, what did your parents and your teachers say to you? Mm -hmm. You know, many of us heard... Uh, don't speak to strangers. Don't oh, yeah. speak while the adults are speaking. Yep. Don't talk this way. Don't talk that way. Don't do this. So we have that in our heads. And then we're never told the right way to do things. It's not like we're brought up in school and saying, here's how you present. They just say, come up and read this. And now we're fearful of our friends making fun of us. And that sticks with us. So we have all this layering, as you put it so so well, of why we get nervous about public speaking. I don't think we fear it because fear is fearing danger. Mm. Public speaking isn't dangerous. It can be embarrassing. And I've done everything you can do on stage to be embarrassed. 
it can be embarrassing. We're afraid what people are thinking of us, especially our peers, even more so than our superiors. What they're thinking of us, we could make a mistake. We could forget what we're going to say, all these things. And if you think about it, well, what do we say? What if I screw up? What if I forget what I'm going to say? What if I make a mistake? What if they laugh at me? What if me, 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 I, I, I? Again, we're putting all the focus on ourselves. Mm-hmm. And if we turn that around and make it about the audience, we take that weight off our shoulders to some degree. Maybe to some, some degree. Semantics, yeah. mm-hmm. But to some degree, we take that off. And now we have the ability to put it, that focus where it belongs. So if I wouldn't even want to go up on stage if I kept thinking, what if this happens to me? What if I do this? Yeah. Like I said, you can't come up with a, a scenario. Other than tripping and falling on stage, it's the one thing I haven't done. And a close friend of mine who's been speaking for just as long at even higher levels has. Oh, wow. And, uh, but just about everything else has happened. Mm. From fire alarm going off twice in one talk in a hotel that we had to go. I I ended up, instead of speaking for 60 minutes, speaking for eight uh, and, and managing that. And it actually went very well in the end. Well, that's good. Uh, I, I tell everybody, don't ever open with a joke. Don't ever tell a joke. Unless you're a true comedian, don't tell a joke. Yeah. Use humor. Humor is fantastic. Sure. But don't tell a joke because you're nervous and your timing will be off. And most of us don't tell jokes well to begin with. But I opened with a joke. I knew my opening 750 middle managers of a major corporation down south. I knew my opening. My opening was solid. And at the last second, my brain said to me, you know, it would be good if you told this joke, <laughs> that sophomoric <laughs> joke that your wife says, don't ever tell oh, dear. anybody in the world that you oh, like dear. this joke. So I decided to open it, open with it. Not a word, not even a moan, not even a, oh my God, I can't believe he said that. Mm. Nothing. And I had 58 minutes to go. <laughs> yeah, you just set yourself up pretty good there, didn't yeah, you? Yes, so I walked to the table, got a drink of water, thought it can only get better from here, and it actually <laughs> ended right. very well. But here's the funny thing. That, which I was dying a thousand deaths when it yeah. happened, one of my favorite stories now. Yeah. The time I was with my zipper down. So you talk about, that's the thing you never want to happen, right? <laughs> like, really, the biggest if that's the biggest thing that happens to you in life, that's you're pretty lucky. But I had a duck blue suit on with a white shirt showing behind the zipper. And (laughs) as one of the uh, conference attendees said to me later, uh, you know, we're not third graders. It's not all that big a deal. But he said to me later, Peter, with that duck suit on, every time you turned a certain way and your zipper opened, the fly opened more. That white shirt was there. It looked like a beacon shining in the night that's all you could look at so that was the bad part was that's all you could look at people weren't paying attention to what i was saying when that beacon would show the white shirt so yeah again they become your favorite stories later on yeah that's true that's true that well that's the way humor works isn't it humor usually plays off of the stuff that's the most uncomfortable it's never off of the really nice and easy joyous stuff no, and who do we, te- when we tease our friends, what's it about? It's not right. the good stuff. It's the uncomfortable yeah, stuff. Exactly. And, and I highly doubt you're going to say, hey, Peter, tell me that time where it went perfect. That's not <laughs> a fun story. First of all, it's never happened. It's not perfect. But that's just not a fun story. Where it went bad are the fun stories. And they're the <laughs> lear- learning and teachable moments. Yeah, that's true. That's where we learn the most. It is true. I do think there's actually value in telling the good stories. I think there's a lot of value in that. Well, you can tell what you did well or, yeah. Well, more than that, I, uh, one of the, it's one of the things that I like to talk about here on the show, the importance not only of telling, um, the good stories to others, but telling them to yourself. Oh, because, that's huge. Yeah. Be- that's because huge. We're, we're, we're like the world's worst critics of ourselves. I yeah. mean, the, the, my favorite way of saying it lately is if we treated our best friends the way we treated ourselves, we wouldn't have best friends. I mean, it's really, yeah, yeah, we're, we're really rough on ourselves, you know, so it's important to tell good stories to ourselves. It's important to, to feed our minds with all the, the most wonderful stories we can tell because we need to have the wonderful stories coming into our minds. You're right. No, you're right. When I, when I'm preparing to go out on stage and, and I'll be doing that next week, I'll, I'll be speaking at a conference. Yeah. I have a certain 
number of things I do before I speak, and they start about an hour before I speak and go on right till I walk on stage. One of the things I think about is visualiz- visualization mm. and seeing things go well. And I often just don't look and go, okay, I can see this audience applauding or laughing or anything like that myself going out on stage and uh, getting an ovation. That's not what I'm looking at. I'm looking at when it's happened before. So you're right. You're absolutely right. You tell yourself the good stories and that sets your mind in a great place for success. Yeah. 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 Well, you, you basically have set your mind for success and you've set it for an expectation of success. Yes. The expectation is actually almost more important than the success. Yes. Well, you won't get the second one without the first one. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's rather, it's imperative. It's an absolute yeah. necessity. <laughs> Mindsets, mindset is a powerful thing. Yeah. I have a very successful friend. He's an attorney and a real estate investor. And he's very successful in all, in all ways in life. Mm. Wonderful family as well. It's not just financial. And you say, hey, Mike, how'd you accomplish that? Without hesitation. He'll explain it to you later if you want, but without mm-hmm. hesitation, he'll say, mindset. Mm. I got myself in the right mindset, learned what I had to learn, applied it the best I could, but I had proper and powerful mindset all along the way. And mindset is something that it's kind of like any other skill you're trying to learn. It takes some doing. You have to study. It's a, it's good to have a mentor. It's good to have teachers to teach it to you. Um, that's been my direct experience doing this podcast because I've had wonderful teachers come onto the show to be my guests. And, uh, boy, have I learned a lot. <laughs> it's been wonderful. <laughs> I mean, that's literally why I started the podcast. I'll, I'll, I've told the story before, but I'll give you like the really short version that, uh, in 2012, my, I had a business that had, uh, gone completely belly up in 2008 because all of my clients were small nonprofit organizations that all went belly up. So my, my business went poof, disappeared. And by 2012, we were deep in debt, bad place. Everything was going wrong. Didn't know how to climb out of it. Couldn't afford to buy a, you know, hire a coach. Couldn't afford to hire, to buy a book about how to be a coach. I couldn't fire. I couldn't do anything. I had no money to work with and I had no idea how to climb out of it. So I started a podcast. And talk to a whole bunch of experts for free. And it worked great. It was a wonderful approach. So I, I have a lot of appreciation for learning directly from other people who have succeeded, who have learned how to set their mindset, who have stories to tell about how their mindset actually led, led to great results. Um, and, and who are able to teach other people how to develop mindset. I, that it's my favorite kind of, of, um, of guest. And I, I guess that's pretty much my definition of what a coach is. The coach is somebody who actually helps you to, to develop the mindset for whatever it is you're learning how to do, really. Yeah, coaches, you know, no matter what kind. And, and you know, you might have heard this guy about this guy uh, being a New Englander. Uh, his name's Tom Brady. Have you ever heard of him? <laughs> yeah, oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. We're aware of him. <laughs> he says he has 12 coaches. Hmm. Most of them football football related one way or the other, but then also nutrition and the like. Mm. Here's a guy who's the best ever at what he does. Yeah. Yet he still to this day has 12 people helping him do what he already knows how to do. Mm. But they catch when he's making a mistake. They keep him from getting into bad habits. They keep him, keep him on the straight and narrow, if you will, or focused when he's less focused. And as he put it, and that's not counting God knows how many lawyers, financial advisors, and the like, who are also coaches. Sure. A consultant is a coach in one in one, one fashion or another. So you look at people like that. Successful people often have coaches. As a matter of fact, I don't know any successful people who don't. There's an interesting statement right there. You don't know any successful people who don't have coaches. Boy, if that doesn't drill the message home, I don't know what else would. That's really something. I have a mentor. I'm 64 years old. I have a mentor who's 74 years old. Mm -hmm. And we still meet all the time regularly. And he holds my feet to the fire. And this is a very (laughs) accomplished individual. And I went and way back when I asked him to coach me. We've been doing this for years. And I wouldn't enjoy anywhere near the success I have. Forget about public speaking. But the success I have in life 
without this individual. Why do you think it is that people resist taking on mentors and coaches? I don't think, well, I think some people don't like to be held accountable. So knowing that a coach is going to hold you accountable, we resist it. This particular mentor of mine, if I give him an excuse, he just looks at me and says, you want to run, you want to run with that one? <laughs> if you want to go with that one, that's the lie you want to tell yourself. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'll go along with it. I don't believe it, but that's okay. And he'll say things like that. Or I'll say, Hey Dick, this went on and this went on and this was tough. And he'll look at me and say, so. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing about a coach or a mentor. They they don't let you get away with anything. <laughs> like, well, I don't know if I can accomplish it. And he's like, okay, but unless you keep striving to accomplish it, you'll never know. And mm. he'll help me do it. But when I give him excuses or or reasons, when I'm giving him real reasons, Dick, this isn't an excuse. This is a solid reason. He's like, oh, okay, this is just a better lie. So... <laughs> <laughs> Like, he's a tough one. Oh, he's very tough. He's like, yeah, all right. So he's like, do you want to get down now to working to achieve it? Or do you just want to keep making excuses and why you're not going to? That is great. That's a good mentor. And, right there. you know, so uh, do I always want to be held accountable? No, no. Uh, he got up and walked out one day really? out of our meeting because I came unprepared. Unprepared in what sense? I prepare in certain ways. I prepare certain papers that I'll share with him and usually send it beforehand, actually, so he can review them. Yeah. And we'll look at that. So it's revenue. It's it's prospects in the pipeline, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. And it, it, there's several things. And there are goal sheets. I write goals when I'm going to achieve them, how I'm going to achieve them and the like. And I send them off to him. Well, I didn't send them off. And every once in a while that happens. I might have been traveling and got home the night before, whatever it might have been. Again, excuses. Because his point is, why didn't you just get up 20 minutes earlier and print them before you, or whatever. So anyway, I showed up and I had nothing. I didn't send him anything before and I, I wasn't traveling. I had no reason to do it other than I hadn't prepped. Hmm. And he said, and this is a good friend too. And he looked right at me. He said, this is a huge disrespect of my time. Ooh. And he got up and he walked out. Wow. He looked at me, he goes, we're still friends, but you got to tell me if you still want to work together. Which was the real point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really was. I mean, yes, it was the disrespect of his time, but that wasn't the real point. The real point, it was, weren't you just wasting your own time? Yep. So uh, I, I, I went to my wife's office. I didn't go back to mine. I went to my wife's office, and this is what just happened with Dick. And she said, you lose him, you've lost a lot. And I'm like, yep. So, yeah, he's, like I said, those two people, and we have, my wife and I have a financial advisor and the like, but between my wife and this guy, Dick, they are solid coaches for me. They they are probably more responsible for my success than I am. Yeah, I've heard that story quite often, told in a variety of different ways, different perspectives, of course, will, will express things in different ways, but it all amounts to the same thing, that the people who have experienced the most success are the ones who found people who had experienced the most success and decided to learn from them. Yeah. And I'm fortunate to be married to one of them. She's my, like I said, she's my best friend. She's a tremendous business person. Hmm. Probably better than I am. That ticks me off to no end. <laughs> but, but <laughs> she is, I don't think anybody's naturally gifted at too many things. I think they're set up to be get they're, gifted with certain elements and then they build upon them. Mm. But if there's anybody that could be naturally gifted with a business mind, it's her. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty powerful. Yeah. Well, actually now that I think about it, it actually describes my relationship with my wife because um, my wife started a business of helping people with their gardening, gardening service and maintenance um, back in 2002. And she was the gardener. I was the one who had business experience and that merger of the two skill sets worked beautifully. Nice. There, there, are, there are lots of people who start off wanting to be gardeners and wanting to turn it into a business. And, and they're usually able to get clients for themselves. And that's about as far as they can go. They can't actually turn it into a business that scales upward because they don't have the business skills that go along with it. Right. 
Yeah. It's really important to have that kind of, of merger of talents in order to make things work. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very fortunate. And it's wonderful. You're also appreciative. Yeah. They both tell me I have to be. <laughs> yeah. But seriously, you are appreciative. <laughs> I really am. Yeah. I yeah. Am. I'm just making a joke, but yes, yeah. I am. Oh, uh, I'd be lost without either one of them. Well, also because the appreci- the reason I, I emphasize this is appreciation. I I have actually learned this from the people who have been on the show that appreciation is really the highest. Uh, it's higher than love. It, it is the highest emotional state. Is the it is the highest living state, highest vibrational state is the way we often describe it. And in 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 that space of being a high vibrational state, I have also learned through direct experience that the more appreciation that I express. And the more appreciation that others express, the more that I experience good things and the more that others experience good things. There's a direct correlation. The more that you appreciate, the more good things happen. So when I see you and you, you're very appreciative. I mean, it's clearly you're, you're appreciative of your mentors, your coaches, you know, the people you've, you've worked with along the way. That appreciation goes a long way. It's, it's not just a thank you. It's, it's a, it's a life pattern that creates a momentum of its own, I think. And in, in creating really that momentum, it actually, it helps to build your success, helps to build your life, your, your abundance, if you will. It, it, it builds everything continuously, I think. That's a great way to look at it. I, I've yeah. never looked at it quite that way, but I appreciate that. You're welcome. Your appreciation. I appreciate that. But there you yeah, go. Yeah. I really no, do. It's a great I, way. I, I think, I think it's really true. I, I think that if, if we, if any of us want to to accomplish more with our lives, just starting with appreciation is probably the strongest thing we can do. Even if we don't have a mentor, even if we don't have a business, even if we don't have prospects for whatever it is we're trying to accomplish, maybe we're trying to find that perfect love of our life. Maybe we don't have any prospects there. Maybe we're trying to improve our health. We don't have any prospects there. Maybe we, we, we wanted to have a business, but we don't have any prospects there. We're stuck in a job working for Pepsi someplace. But if we can start with appreciation, all of a sudden the doors start to open because I mean, who wants to talk with somebody who isn't appreciative? You know, somebody who, who complains all the time, you know, always bitching and moaning like, Oh God, this damn job. And I can't believe the supervisor put me on the shift again. And you know, all that kind of stuff, you know, who wants to work with that person? But the person who talking about the exact same situation says, wow, I really appreciate my, my, my supervisor gave me actually five more, five more hours of work this week than he gave me last week. That's an entirely different attitude about the exact same situation. Right. And, and that change in attitude opens doors that you can't even tell that the doors are opening until after they're opened. Isn't a lot of life how you, how you look at it? Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, when I was eight, I got hit by a car and I wasn't supposed to make the night. Wow. I had, uh, seven broken bones, including a fractured skull. Oh, God. Uh, internal bleeding in my gut, internal bleeding in my left knee. Wow. I, I was a mess. And they brought in the aunts and uncles. My cousins were too young because they were my mm-hmm. age, but my aunts and uncles to say goodbye. Wow. I, mean, I was not supposed to make the night, make the night. I look back and go, that was one of the best things that's ever happened to me. Mm. And I was in a bed, then a wheelchair, and then on crutches for a year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, no eight year old goes, Oh, I have a second chance at life. <laughs> no eight year old says that. Believe me. And by the time you're a person to start thinking about that, 30s, 40s, 50s, whatever it might be, it 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 seems like a dream that it actually happened. Mm. So I don't know if there's any real connection. But logically, I do know I was given a second chance. And uh, for whatever reason, I pulled through. And that even furthered my resolve to help people, to be like my dad. How so? In what way did it further your resolve? Because, again, well, it, it was kind of funny. My dad was off that day, the way firefighters work. And this mm. was a street over from where we lived. And someone ran and got my father. And it was he and two other firefighters, the two in the rescue, mm. who put me in the rescue and took me. So he was with me all the way. Mm-hmm. He never looked, uh, left my side. My mother got there a little later to the hospital. And uh, he never left my side. And then he took a couple of weeks off from the fire station to be with me. Mm. And my mom was there every day too, and they were best friends till he passed away. So it just made me look even then at my father helping people. Mm. And I, I did look at, I highly doubt it was when I was eight years old, but 
I was still a kid when I started to look at it, is he was one of the three guys who helped me. I got to feel, not just see, how he helped people. Yeah, I, I wouldn't uh, underrate that. I would say that actually probably was a major deal, um, even at, at as, as an eight-year-old. Because, I mean, as let's be honest, kids are basically more aware than adults are. They, they aren't necessarily... They aren't at a place yet where they have learned to direct their lives the way, the way they want to direct their lives. I mean, that's part of what they're they're in the process of learning. Yeah, they but have open minds. Yeah, exactly. Wide open. But they're also, through that, those open minds, they're also much more aware of circumstances, things going on around them. You know, they're, con- they're, they're, they're sponges, right? They're constantly taking in new data and processing the data and making sense out of it and turning it into new life lessons as they're going along and so forth. So I, I wouldn't discount what that eight-year-old yourself was experiencing. I, I think you were probably taking in a lot. And the fact that your father was one of the people who was essentially helping to save your life. Yeah, of course he was your hero. How could he not be? <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing there, Walt, is anytime I would pester my father, he'd always say, go play in traffic. <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> and oh, I thought goodness. after get hit, getting hit by a car and being expected to die, that he would never say say that again. Once I was off those crutches, <laughs> he, said, he started saying it again. Oh, We're playing traffic. <laughs> so, but still, that was a very seminal moment for you, and yeah, and I'm, I, I'm sure that that really played a, a big role in terms of your own personal development later on. It certainly explains to me why it is that your father was such a hero. I mean, not that 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 reason was needed in order to understand it, because clearly there are other factors as well. Yeah, but that that just, I mean, yes, of course. He had to be a hero after that. Not that anybody else can see it, but you can uh, oh, yeah. wrong way. His helmet over, that's one of his helmets over there. Oh, is it? Oh, okay. Yeah. Very I have cool. all his helmets, but that one actually saved his life. Oh, really? That, that's that's an old-fashioned helmet, the metal ones and all. Yeah, yeah, and right. You can see where it's all bent and yeah. a, uh, a roof and ceiling caved in on him while he was in a, wow. in a, in a building, in a house. Mm-hmm. And that one saved his life, so that's why that one's there. So let's, we, 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 as we so often do, we have gone off on a tangent, but this yeah. is a good tangent. This is a really, really good tangent. So I'm glad we did it, but let's, let's get back to the main topic, which is being a speaker and trying to develop um, your skills as a public speaker with this. I, I kind of consider what we talk about here as being a foundation for understanding that topic better. Cause I think all of what we've talked about has played a major role um, in one way or another, certainly in your life and in the lives of other people that you help. But as you think about people who come to you, looking to improve their ability to, to be public speakers, because that's why they're coming to you. They know you're the expert in that field. When you when you think about the people who are reaching out to you for the first time, I imagine that certain patterns come to your mind, You know, certain things that you've seen over and over again in the people who do ask for help. What are some of those patterns? You know, it's funny. I'll start with the one that's not a big one. A lot of people think, oh, you're a public speaking coach. First they think thing they think of is fear of speaking. And that's a small part of my business. I generally don't get people calling me saying I have a fear of public speaking. Mm-hmm. They are calling, depending on what they're trying to accomplish. If they want to be a professional speaker, then it's to really hone their craft. Mm. A lot of those people like, you know, I've gone this far. Now I have to get better. And it's funny because I work with numerous athletes. Mm. And what I found about working with athletes, and some of them were professional and some were uh, D1 in, in college and the like, Division One. Mm-hmm. What's great about working with athletes is they're extremely coachable. Yeah, oh, sure. Right. I remember working with a hockey player once, professional hockey player, former, and I was telling him something. He said, okay, I'll work on that. And I said, yeah, work on it before next week, and it'll take you a while. You might have it by next week. He goes, no, no, no. give me a minute. <laughs> And I said, no, 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 you're not going to change that in your mind. You're going to keep doing what you were doing. And he took a minute and it was his eyes closed and he opened his eyes and goes, all right, let's try it again. So they're extremely coachable. And, but so you have people like that who say, I just want to up my game. I want to be as good Mm -hmm. as I could possibly be. And then there are others who are saying with a promotion in my business or my company, I now have to present more often. And I'm presenting now in front of the COO or the CEO or the president of the company or whomever it may be. And I have to be good at it or (laughs) I'll lose my job. Mm 
Mm. which is I had a client like that. That was a, a rude awakening to her. She got promoted to vice president and she never really presented all that much before. But oh. when she got promoted to vice president, it exposed how good she was not. Ah. And they couldn't have her at that position and not be a good public speaker present well, because not only was she presenting in the company, she was out presenting for the company out mm -hmm. in the public. Mm -hmm. And so it was like she was better off not being where she was as far as her speaking talents. She was better off being where she was. So anyway, so we work together. So they come for that to, again, hone their craft and be better at it, depending on what their circumstances happens to be. I work with authors hmm. who write a book and now they're asked to speak because for some reason people think if you can write, you can speak. And they're, <laughs> they're two different things. It's like saying they if are. you can walk, you can run. Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe not. So they're two different talents. And so a lot of writers get asked to speak and now they're saying, okay, I know how to write. I don't know how to communicate this way. Yeah. So uh, I would say you do, and almost a better uh, analogy is the idea that, that people have is if, if you can write, it's the same thing as being able to play music. Which isn't yes. true, of course, but, no. but that, but, but that, that's, that's about as far apart as speaking and writing are. I mean, they're, they're, they're very, very far apart. They're not really in the same range even. No, no, it's, it's, you know, speaking and writing are two forms of communication, but they're not the same skill set. Yeah. Writing, you can edit and edit and edit all you want. Yep. You can sit and do it at your leisure. You can, you generally do it by yourself. Yep. Most mm -hmm. of us do it in a quiet place. Speaking is not a singular act. It's not, you're not by yourself. People think, well, you're the only one talking. No, we're not. <laughs> if, if people aren't speaking back to you inside their heads, then they're not getting what you're saying. Mm -hmm. So it should be a two way conversation and it has to be looked at that way. And you don't get to re edit again and again and again while you're doing it. Right. It's all based on prep. And then the performance side. Yeah. So there are two different skill sets. So I work with authors as well who are like, okay, now what do I do? I don't know how to do this part of communication. I'm thinking about the woman you were just talking about who was the VP who shouldn't have been a VP because she really didn't have the ability to present, but she came to you for help. And the reason I'm thinking about her is, it, I mean, that's just one example of a person who is kind of out of their depth and they're wanting to get into their depth, so to speak. Um, so I'm treating it as that kind of an example. So in that particular case, working with her, were you able to actually help her move to the place where she wanted to be, where she was able to actually go out and make the presentations and represent the company and so forth? Because that, yeah. that's a big deal. That's a big shift. She, yeah, she became, she became so good that the president of the company, there are a couple of layers between her position and the president. Mm -hmm. The president of the company, after she presented to him, said, I would like you to to teach the other VPs to do what you're doing. Wow. And she called me up and said, this is awesome, isn't it? He thinks this much of me. This is great. And I'm thinking, um, <laughs> <laughs> maybe I could come in and teach them. <laughs> so, but I wasn't hired by her company. I was hired by her. Sure. So when it came, he said, teach them. And she did. She did. But she, I mean, this young woman, young compared to me, had so much confidence and I'll speak about confidence in a second, but she had so much confidence that she rearranged the way those meetings and presentations with the president of the company were held. Really? She said, that doesn't work. We're going to do it this way based on what I've learned. Wow. He, that's when he came up to her later and said, you've got to teach the other people that are present this way. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. Yeah. When, well, when I said, I talk about confidence, the coolest right thing I get out of this and what I think is the most important thing are right up there anyway, that my clients get out of it or clients working with any public speaking coach or any coach in general is often not the skills that they go in for. And I'll give you an example. The president of a global company came to me and said, I'd like you to help me with my public speaking skills. You help someone I know raves about you. Da 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 da. Mm -hmm. Love to do that. Well, when it was done, he said to me, Peter, when I hired you to help me with my public sp speaking skills, that's what I had in mind. And you did that. 
He said, but I'm 55 years old. I'm the president of a large company. I thought I had all the confidence I would ever have in life. <laughs> what I walked away with, even more so than public speaking skills, is a higher level of confidence I didn't know I could attain. Yeah. And when someone says something like that to you, that's that's humbling. And that's what I see now in my clients. I see a light bulb go off. Not that they have an idea. Mm -hmm. I see a light bulb go off. I can see when they they get this confidence. They go from, no, I don't want to see myself on video to, okay, let's look at the video so I can see what I'm doing right and wrong or what I want to change. I don't want to do this. I'm, I'm nervous about doing that to saying, I've got this. I can do this. And that's, that's, like I said, that's pretty humbling when that happens. Where do you think that comes from? Because that, that's a topic we address a lot, the, the topic of building self-confidence. Where does confidence come from in your mind? Competence. Competence. Yep. I believe confidence comes from competence. Okay. Doesn't mean you can't know how to do something and that you don't have the confidence to go try. But I think true confidence within comes from competence. When you learn to do something well, you develop that confidence to do it and try other things because, hey, I'm not a good speaker. I'll never be a good speaker. Oh, look at that. I am. And I have the confidence to do it. Now I have confidence to go do things that other things that I thought maybe I couldn't do. So that also raises a question too, which is if it's about competence, well, then you have to be able to develop competence. So where do you get the confidence to develop the competence? Sometimes <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you where it came with me. When I went to work for that uh, large corporation, worldwide corporation, I didn't have the confidence to speak in front of people. And my vice president, who's a great, great guy, said to me, you have to, you have no choice. And I tried to find every way out and I couldn't, <laughs> I could either lose this wonderful job mm. or get help. And that's when I went to the books and the cassettes and then much better training with uh, the group training and then one-on-one -on -one training. Mm -hmm. And after it was all over, he and I were having a discussion in his office. And I said, thanks so much for helping me get the courage to make that decision. So the last thing I ever wanted to do was communicate with people like that. Mm. And he said, Peter, always remember this. Life is very, it's easy to make the right decision when you have a gun to your head. <laughs> yes, it is. Right? It's I've very never, true. <laughs> I've never forgotten that. So that's where my confidence came from. I didn't have confidence mm. when I went for the training. But I had enough confidence to know that I could at least hold my own for one meeting. I wasn't sure I'd ever go back before sure. I ever went, but I had enough confidence to go in. And that, I had it. no choice. And a lot of my clients have no choice. Whether it's they have to get better because someone at work told them they need to, or they have to get better so they can continue to move up the ladder in the corporation, mm -hmm. or they know to get more gigs if they're going to make their living as a speaker. Mm. They have to be extremely competent. Yeah. So it, it, it comes from a place, like, like a lot of things we do that we're nervous about, it comes from a place of need or high desire. Sometimes a combination of the two. Peter, this has been a wonderful conversation. I've really enjoyed getting to know you and getting to know your, your whole approach to how you think about not just speaking, but developing life skills. And I just want to thank you for taking the time to, to share that with our audience today. It's been a, a real pleasure uh, interviewing you. Before we go, though, I got to get some information from you. Sure. Got to find out because because there, there could be somebody listening right now who says, "I got to talk with this guy." So they they got to know how to reach you. How do they reach you? How do they find you? Easiest way to find me is to go to PeterGeorgePublicSpeaking.com. Nice and simple. PeterGeorgePublicSpeaking.com. They can learn about how I help my clients. They can learn about my book that's coming out in June, which is a step-by-step -step training of how I work with my clients. It brings you right through what you would do if you were working with me personally. Uh, my podcast, if it's about me, that website is the hub. What's the name of the book coming out? The name of the book is The Captivating Public Speaker, How to Engage, Impact, and Influence Your Audiences.
So that's going to be out in June. I presume that it'll be available at all the usual suspects, Amazon and all the yeah. bookstores and all that kind of thing. Yep. Yeah. And I presume they uh, – is it one of those deals where they can actually order it an advanced copy? No. Not yet. Okay. So it's not actually on the shelf, so to speak. <laughs> no. No. It's uh, – I might put up on my website the opportunity to, uh, for advanced orders. But actually for people who want to, for a week when it comes out, I if oh, let me back up here. If they go to my website, they can get on a me- email list, and that email list also gives you fifty-two uh, tips for public speaking, one a week. But I'll also announce it there where they can get a free copy. It'll be an ebook, but they can Very get a free cool. copy for an ebook. I'm going to do that for about a week, like a pre cool. pre announcement. Yeah, that sounds great. Okay. Yep, because not everybody, like you said, you were in a position where you couldn't even buy the book. I've been there right. in life where I, I I couldn't buy the book. So if for the people in that position, if they want a free one or if they just want a free one, period, it'll be there for them. That's great. I love that. That's fabulous. So thank you once again for joining us on the show, for sharing your expertise. We really do appreciate it very much. Walt, it's been a pleasure. And thank you to our podcast listeners everywhere. I, I appreciate you very much. We'll see you all next time here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody.